0: happening podcast listeners it's your boy matt baxter on another great episode of Yup, you guessed it the matt baxter show on this episode i'm hanging out with jeff elman jeff elman is truly a serial entrepreneur starting five different companies scaling up in many different ways uh he's both been in, in recruiting he's been in real estate he's been all over the place uh Two of his most super well-known companies that are just changing the industry, both Hierology as well as Urban Bound, two companies that he founded based in Chicago. He's got a great group of folks behind him, and he's just a phenomenal guy. I just respect Jeff so much because he's super down to earth. And when you seek his advice, ask his wisdom, all of a sudden he flips a switch and he just turns it on like nobody's business. But he does so in a very humble These are the lessons that I've learned. These are the successes that I've had. And these are the mistakes that I've made. And it's just truly a breath of fresh air. So Jeff, although you are a Sparty and I'm a U of M fan, with the exception of that, I have nothing else bad to say. And I hope everybody enjoys this episode as much as I did. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks,
1: Matt. It's good to be here. Where, uh, Where in the world are you recording from? I am just outside Chicago. It's uh, Glencoe, Illinois. Right on. The classic suburbs of Chicago? Yes. Made the move here about three years ago. Where'd you move from? Uh, we were in the city,
0: and I grew up uh, just outside Detroit in Little Hills, Michigan. I love that. I love that. So, Jeff, I know that we have a lot to dive into, whether it's HR tech, software, raising capital, lack thereof, the, 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 the joys of being an entrepreneur. But knowing your background, I, I know there's a pretty cool story. would love to hear it.
1: Yeah, so I've had uh, the opportunity to start five different companies. It goes back to you know, 1999. And when I think about the five companies, they're all pretty much correlated into one theme, which is trying to help people through any type of like life transition. So my first company was a college recruiting company, where my goal was to represent the top 10% of college students throughout the Midwest and then help them find jobs. So we would go around to HR teams and basically... You know, learn what their needs were and, and go to schools where they didn't have a, a, a deep bench to recruit from. Um, and then we'd place the students there and earn a fee. Uh, from being in that business, I saw a few different opportunities. Number one was that what surprised me the most about the Midwest was that everybody was moving to Chicago. Um, so knowing that, I started a real estate company in Chicago to help people find a home. Um, because why not? If we're interviewing a few thousand people every single year, if one of their basic needs was find a job, find a home, and also meet new people. Um, So we started an event planning company that was really more about networking to meet others like minded um, who are also new to the city looking for a job and looking to expand their network. So those companies scaled quite nicely over the years, uh, ended up having an exit with Home Scout, which is a real estate company, uh, to Caldwell Banker. And then from being in real estate is what kind of led me to my my latest venture, which I started 10 years ago. Actually, there's two two ventures, uh, one called Urban Bound and one called Hierology. Uh, Hireology is out there, both in Chicago, and Hireology solves the problem of companies not having a structured hiring process. What I found that when I was a recruiter was that most of the clients I recruited for really didn't have a process to select top talent. They didn't know what questions to ask, didn't know what answers to look for that would predict success. And uh, really, I would say hiring was a gamble. So we created a structured process for them and allowed them to hire top talent, ultimately became a software company. Uh, that now does much more than just you know, sourcing and selecting talent. It does payroll. It does um, you know, all the uh, job boards for you. It ties into the background checks and skills testing. Uh, and there's about 8,500 companies on that platform today, about 250 employees working in Hireology. Um, and then I spend most of my time right now at my latest HR tech company, uh, Urban Bound, which uh, goes back to my real estate days of when people are moving. What I learned was that most companies, when they relocate employees, they typically drop the ball, and, and the employee has a really poor experience. And the way they drop the ball is they would say, you know, Matt, we're excited to make you this job offer to join us here in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, you know, here's fifteen thousand dollars you're receiving your first or second paycheck to accommodate your moving expenses. You know, good luck with everything," um, which we think is a horrible experience for a number one to have no support and try to figure out a move on your own, and then b to have to front all the expenses. Um, so we built the first digital relocation platform that makes relocating really easy and simple and drives down the cost to relocate talent by a few thousand dollars per move. So it's been a great company, uh, scaling nicely, and it's been a lot of fun to really come and innovate in a really archaic industry.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. So so five different companies through the years. Um, once you kind of launch one, the idea of launching a second one, I feel like conceptually is a lot more possible. But for you, like your very first business, did it feel like you were taking a big leap of faith by launching something? that Was it just like, Nope, this is just what we're going to do. Kind of walk me through like the mentality of launching your first company. Because obviously so many people don't do that for so many reasons. But I'd love kind of your thought process around that.
1: Yeah. And you know, I still feel like it was yesterday. You know, I, was, I was 22 <laughs> years old and um, my father you know, owned a, a title insurance company. And that was the path I was told I was going down. And I was going to take over the family business. And you know, frankly, that's not what I wanted to do. It didn't, it didn't represent who I was. The, the meaning I want to have in my life. And I, I loved helping people. I found that I was always helping my friends, you know, network in college and find jobs. And um, I came up with the idea to, you know, start a, a recruiting company. And I remember my parents, my mom was very supportive my dad thought it was a bad idea. So what do you know about <laughs> owning a company? You
0: you're, you're always got to have one naysayer.
1: Yeah. You know what? And that naysayer really helped me. I mean, having everyone doubt me, including my sister, was kind of what fueled the fire in me because um, I wanted to prove them wrong. And, if everyone said, hey, we believe in you, you're going you're gonna to do great. I don't know if I would have, you know, taken the path I'm in today. Um, so for me, my mentality was, you know, a lot of people are like, well, God, being an entrepreneur at 22 years old, it's so risky. Why are you doing that now? I actually felt like the biggest risk was not starting my company because that was the time to do it. I didn't have a family. I didn't have mortgage payments. And at the end of the day, I remember what I told my dad was I'm going around to companies. I'm meeting with their HR leaders or their CEOs. I'm learning what they look for when they hire top talent. If my business doesn't work out, hopefully I leave a good enough impression on them that they can hire me one day. So ultimately, I have a plan B if it doesn't work out. Thankfully for us, the company scaled really quickly in in 1999, 2000, um, and I never had to go down that path of the plan B.
0: Isn't it one of the greatest things in the world being an HR tech? Because worst case scenario, you talk to hundreds or thousands of companies that if it all if it all falls through, you at least know a few people you can call for a job.
1: <laughs> right? No, it's 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 a great hedge for, for you know for yourself as an entrepreneur, especially early in your career. But even today, like the opportunity to help so many of my friends or acquaintances you know, through LinkedIn, like say I, I see you know this head of HR, can you help me get an in introduction? I think you know our recruiting firm alone has helped over a few hundred thousand people find jobs, and that's that means more to me than anything.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's so cool to see the impact on that. Um, so Jeff as an entrepreneur, company one versus Jeff as an entrepreneur now, what do you think that you came in full head of steam and you were really, really well prepared and skilled at blank? What do you think you kind of possess that you did really well? And then what would be something that over the five companies, maybe you've learned about yourself that's been eye opening as, as an entrepreneur?
1: I think what I did really well um, was, was finding mentors and advisors uh, early on, those advisors and mentors opened up so many doors for me. And that was advice I was given, was especially when you're young in your career, finding mentors is really easy because a lot of people want to help someone who's in their 20s just trying to figure out the path, um, which I think is harder to do when you're in your 40s or 50s to go find you know, mentors or entrepreneurs uh, to assist you. So that was very important to me. Even today, like we're going after a new vertical uh, with Ergabung. With we're doing very well in healthcare right now. And you now we're starting a healthcare advisory council, um, which is going back to my twenties, like going back to thinking about how can we grow fast, and it's usually through mentors who want to open up doors for you. So I still follow that to this day. Uh, the second part of the question was kind of like things I wish I knew that I know now. Kind of yeah, talking. yeah,
0: exactly. Yep.
1: Um, I, I think listening to the voice of the customer. You know, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you just feel like you you, you got this vision and it's not going to change. But the reality is, it's like every one of the companies I started, you know, changed rapidly over time Uh, and and having to adjust. And the only way to adjust effectively is by asking the right questions, not thinking that you know the answers and and listening to the voice of the customer. And that's one of the keys to our success.
0: I like that. Do you think uh, do you think you learned that by like, was that over time learning? Was there like a, you know, kind of snap like. Either we lost this customer, we assumed this, we pivoted here, whatever. How, was that kind of a transitional learn or do you do you feel like the, there was a couple of big mistakes or a couple of bad things that happened that kind of forced you to learn it?
1: Yeah, I think there were mistakes over the years where we thought like we had a really you know healthy customer and they were really happy um, and then come to find out they're, they're not renewing, right? And then it's like, well, what happened? Um, and then we learned, well, we need to do quarterly business reviews with our customers. And now I do founders calls where once a year I'll jump on with our customers and I'll ask them, know 10 to 15 questions making sure that i am listening to their needs and we are building the right solution that's going to help them achieve their goals and definitely in my early years
0: i didn't take the time to do those things yeah um excuse me what do you so specifically in hr and hr tech obviously i've got a heart for that space as well too um do you feel like how have you gone about being an entrepreneur, fast moving? Everything's you know launching things, new ideas, creativity. How have you handled that when selling to a customer base that would be, how shall I say, politely a little bit more risk averse?
1: I think things have changed. When I talk about risk aversion, the last call it year and a half with COVID, I'm finding that more and more companies are adopting this digital transformation. Um, that that's real. I mean, it used to be like, yeah, we're you're an HR tech company, we're, we're happy with what we have, but they've been exposed in the last year and a half where they're realizing they've got a lot of outdated, you know, archaic manual processes that can't scale with them, especially if they're working remotely. So there's really never been a better time to have a digital solution in the HR
0: world. I, uh, <laughs> being a video provider in a world that transitioned to video, I can completely relate in the, in the growth stage, it's just been interesting <laughs> two years ago, pitching to companies and their response was, yeah, yeah, that's the way of the future. That's just not for us right now. And then right. all of a sudden COVID hits and they're like, no, no, we need this yesterday. And it's like, yeah, I know. I wish we had this conversation two months ago, but. It's well, I think so it's- what's
1: fascinating with that is so like UrbanBound, we, you know, we make relocation easy for companies with our digital platform and the industry itself of relocation because of COVID and people were not moving for jobs. The industry was down 40%. Um, and, and, yet my company still grew during COVID and had pretty rapid growth, which our, our investors and our my, my coworkers are really happy with. And that reason is, is that, is people want digital
0: solutions now. Right. That's right. So how do you, so you've, you've launched five different companies and had a ton of success by default, where does your brain go towards what you're thinking about? So a couple fold, number one, you've obviously had exits so do you kind of mentally put any stock in the you know the past as far as companies that you've spent a lot of time with or are you more sort of futuristic thinking this is what we should be working on this is what we should be doing kind of where does your mind default when 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 kind of idle idle brain time
1: you know, it never thinks about an exit. I think that's uh, short sighted and it causes people to make poor decisions if you're thinking did about you,
0: Have you always been that way or did that did that evolve over time?
1: No, I've always been that way. It, to me, yeah. it's about building a great company you know, and, and great companies are bought, not sold. So if I keep building great companies, someone's going to come approach me one day and they're going to want to buy it. Yep. I'm, not, I'm not actively hiring an investment banker to market my company. Uh, so if I just keep doing what we're doing and have the growth rates we want to have and, and have the retention of our customers and our employees, uh, you know things will take care of themselves in the end.
0: I like that. I like that. So uh, if you had to guess, how many companies between now and the uh, the end of your life, how many companies do you think you'll launch?
1: Did my business partner put you up to that question? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. There, there's a twenty
0: dollar bill sticking out of my pocket. Right. I yeah,
1: he's taking <laughs> me to lunch tomorrow. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's funny because I've said I don't know how how many more companies I can start because it it does require a tremendous amount of, you know, time, money, resources, passion. uh, And I'm extremely passionate about what I'm doing right now. However, I don't know how many more companies I'll start. I think I'll see myself maybe teaching, mentoring and giving back um, and coaching more. Um, Maybe one or two more companies are in the cards, but I I don't think I'm going to start like another five. Yeah.
0: what would you say has been the most uh, you kind of alluded to this, like the number of jobs that you help people get, what would you say is the most like fulfilling part of all the businesses uh, you've launched and maybe you can highlight one or two specifically. And then what would you say has been the hardest part for you?
1: The most fulfilling is internal. Like I love hiring talent, seeing the potential in somebody and then fast forwarding time and they're exceeding their expectations of their career growth, their earning potential, and that is they're thriving and they're having fun simultaneously. Um, And we've been very fortunate to have, you know, a great track record of hiring. Uh, That's my background. So I should should be able to hire top talent. I told that to all of our investors that one of our strengths will be, we're going to field the best team. And typically the best team usually wins uh, in business. So, uh, you know, promoting talent, watch talent grow. Sometimes it's even watching top talent move on and get jobs somewhere else, which breaks my heart at the time. But that's sometimes that's a good sign. Like someone was able to advance to a VP level and someone wanted to bring them in and offer them money that was you know, above and beyond what I would ever pay. But it happens. And I'm, I'm proud of them. And I'm proud of us for developing that talent. Um, so that, I would say that's probably the most fulfilling. And the second part of the
0: question. What would you say has like been the biggest Challenge, or I guess maybe weighs on you the most.
1: Well, weighs on me the most is, I mean, and this very rarely happens. We have like a ninety-six percent retention rate of customers, but that those that four percent will bother me and will keep me up at night. Um, and a lot of times, it might be things we can't control. You know, maybe the company got yeah. acquired, um, and whoever acquired them no longer, you know, needs a company like Urban Bound or, or um but also, it weighs on me is like, you know, COVID really weighed on me. That was a very, very challenging time in my life where I was like, God, we've done everything right at the early days of COVID. You know, I'm like, God, I own a company that is all about hiring and no one's hiring right now and no one's relocating right now. Um, so, everything I've been working for for the last 10 plus years with Hireology and Urbound was at risk during the early days of COVID. And, and I've learned a lot that, like, you know, I can't really worry about things that I don't have control over. Uh, so, I had, to, I had to get out of that little. I'll call it like slump for a few months. i call it in the, the very first few months of COVID when everything was, you know, falling apart. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, everything rebounded really
0: quickly. That's awesome. It, so this is a little bit backtracking, but specifically with like Hireology. So uh, obviously it's no surprise that there's a lot of other ATSs in the world and a lot of other hiring platforms in the world. How did How have you gone about, launching and growing that business and others where, you know, it's there's certainly a lot of other players in the space. So I guess what two part question, number one, as an entrepreneur, how do you sort of have blinders on to growing what you want to be doing while also knowing other companies are succeeding in the space, other companies are growing as well too. And then specifically in like the sort of ATS and hiring world, how have you gone about just sticking to what you guys do really well and succeeding at that, knowing that there's a ton of other players.
1: Yeah. So the, the managing partner of Bain Capital, who's one of our investors in Hierology, you know, said something many, many years ago to me that I always think about was he said, you know, Jeff, there's, there's riches in niches. So if you figure out a niche and you can accelerate the growth of your product in that niche, you're going to have rapid growth. Um, the early days of Hireology, we didn't know who our ideal customer was, and we found out it was actually you know auto dealerships and franchise systems. So these were you know multiple rooftops or multiple businesses all around you know, the country or the world that had uh, a, a lack of a structured hiring process, but yet they're they all hiring the same types of jobs and doing it different ways at every location. So they became our sweet spot. So we also learned that when you focus on a niche, you kind of get the herd mentality. Once you land the largest ones everyone else tends to follow. So for example, right now with Hyrology, 1 in 4 auto dealerships in North America is a customer of ours, which is like mind-boggling me because I didn't I never thought it would be an initiative to go after in the early days. And I'm finding the same thing right now with you know with with Urban Bound is that we were fortunate enough to land the number 1 healthcare system in the world and then after that we, we landed number 2 um in healthcare Specifically, in this, in this world we're living in right now, there's a war for talent and to relocate cl- clinical or to hire clinical workers is extremely challenging and many of them need to move. And most hospitals were just giving people money, hoping it went well. So we found that within healthcare, UrbanOwn was the perfect solution. And the, the term I use internally, um, this is for any business when you're thinking about scaling, is we call them our zebras. And a zebra is our ideal customer. Uh, and the reason why it's called a Zebra is when you look at like at all the animals in the world, you don't confuse a zebra for anything else. It's not a bear. It's not a lion. It's not a tiger. It's not a cheetah. It's a zebra. It clearly stands out. And that's the way a customer should be. The ideal customer should stand out where it's like a blinding flash to the obvious that That is who we're trying to market to and that's who we want to sell to. And if we can you know, land those customers, we're going to have rapid growth.
0: How did you, <clears throat> with like car dealerships and Hierology, how did you... I guess originally identify that that was your target customer because, like, obviously you can at times say that's who we think it is, and then go after them, and then it might work, it might not. But how, like, at what point was there kind of like the flashing light that you all of a sudden were like, oh yeah, that is the zebra?
1: I mean, it took many many quarters uh, where we'd have our you know, quarterly offsites and we were talking about our sales, and eventually the data just tells you the story. Like you've had X number of meetings in this vertical this percent converted to a second meeting or this percent converted to a closed deal. And it, it's really stood out that we were having tremendous success because the needs and the challenges in that industry, our product was able to solve quite easily. So it just becomes so obvious who your customer is. And even the same thing with, with Herbmount. I mean, when I look at the data, um, you know, there's different data points that we look at, but healthcare just really stood out as like, you know, we have shorter sales cycles with them. We're solving major pain points. Um, Know, the you know average revenue you can make per move is, is greater than maybe other industries and uh, the the need for talent to relocate is is growing by the day so it just it just becomes re- really obvious but you need to have enough meetings and to get the data to make the right decision because it's a data-driven decision it can't just be your gut
0: yep it's something that I've struggled with <coughs> excuse me for a long time it's like we know our we know our range of customers we know sort of what they look like and then all of a sudden saying no that's the one that's like you know wash rinse repeat that's that's the bread and butter customer that we want to go after and i'm i'm a classic case of kind of founder add where it's like well this could be a customer this could be a customer let's go after that let's go after that and there's a time and a place for that but at the same time it's like no you got to buckle down you got to identify who's the classic like we can just churn and burn on these and, and grow with that you know certain type of su- customer subset as well too so no that's zebra i like that term that's cool yeah
1: As soon as I say no to a company that wants to do business with us, that that tells me that we have a strategy in place. Yeah, It's very easy to say yes. And when you say yes to the wrong prospect and they become a customer, it can really throw off your roadmap. And now you're building the wrong product for the wrong customer.
0: Yep. No, it makes sense. Um, So leading five different companies, what's the difference between being a founder and being a CEO?
1: Well, a founder lives in the bucket of you know, the visionary, um, not that the CEO doesn't. The CEO is going to be more about you know, the implement, implementation and the integrator. And the founder really has to have the clear vision for where the company needs to go and be able to articulate that vision internally and externally. Let's say those are the biggest differences.
0: What do you gravitate more towards? Uh,
1: I'm hundred percent the visionary box. Yeah. I love talking about the future. I love coming up with ideas for our roadmap by talking to customers. Um, my favorite part of my day is when I'm talking to a prospect or talking to a customer and learning, you know, what, what their challenges are and then knowing that we can most likely can solve them.
0: So on that note, at what point in time and how have you gone about realizing that, uh, there's a transition from being founder led to being more operator execution led? So like. I remember in different conversations we've had, you know, for Hireology's got 250 employees, right? And so for as big as you guys are, how did you decide that it was time to take a step back necessarily or let somebody else come in and lead? Kind of wh- walk me through how you've gone about doing that.
1: Yeah. So once I felt like we had the right internal tools to allow us to scale above and beyond, you know, my leadership, that was that was the time for me to remove myself from the day-to-day um, there's actually a book that I followed to start all of my companies with. It's, it's called Traction uh, by Gina Wickman. And it's all about the entrepreneurial operating system. And it's, it's a fantastic book. And I remember the early days of hierology. I had to convince my business partner that we had to follow that uh, methodology to scale the company and he pushed back on it. And ultimately, we ended up using that. Actually, our, the name of our conference room is called The Wickman Room for Gina Wickman, the author of the book, because without that book, we would never have been able to scale the way we scaled so once once we put the right structure in place and had the right people in place it was really easy for me to say okay you guys you guys got this and frankly i'm, I'm probably getting in your way by having me be in every single meeting or being too involved in the business so i've learned to kind of stay in my lane and, and only you know contribute when i'm asked to at certain times
0: yeah it's uh Traction. One of my investors said, I don't really care to look at your books. I don't really care to look at your product. I don't really care to look at that. I believe in you. However, I have one, uh, one string attached with my investment. And he said, you have to read the book traction.
1: <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah, that's a good investor.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's a great book and it's forced me because I'm in the same camp as you definitely air towards visionary, like entirely. And operations is not where I'm necessarily that skilled. And I'm, I'm Sort of constantly battling. How much do I force my brain to think in terms of operations versus bringing in somebody else who is a lot more skilled at that, spends more time at that, is just quite frankly better at that than sort of the visionary? Let's go talk about the future. Let's go talk about rah rah. Let's go talk about you know this that and that. So
1: right. Yeah, I think that's the case for a large percentage of entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, good at, good at starting, but seeing it all the way through is not necessarily always <laughs> always the same. Yeah, I
1: mean it's really easy to start a company, it's really hard to scale a company.
0: That's right. That's right. What's your uh, biggest advice for somebody who's trying to scale a company?
1: Well, I I always say your, your first 10 hires are going to make or break the business. So, you know, hire slowly, you know, fire quickly. Um I, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it boils down to people. So you can have the best business, the best you know, business idea, best product ideas, but if you don't have the people who can execute. So it's all about a hiring top talent, retaining that talent, making them feel like, you know, hopefully, you give them some ownership in the company in those early town, but if not, make them feel like they're an owner all, all the way along the journey.
0: So you've obviously been a part of a, thousands and thousands and thousands of companies hiring millions of candidates. What's your, uh, what's your secret sauce to uh, finding and hiring great talent?
1: It depends on the type of talent. So I think most companies struggle with like early career because you don't have the same track record as someone who's been in the business for 15 years. You can see that they've hit their quota, for example, for in the last 10 quarters and they've, they've got this proven track record of success. So for me, I love hiring young talent. It's you know up and coming, um, and there's a, there's an interview that I've been doing probably now for 15 years, and we it's called the achievements interview, and it's basically all about pattern recognition. Where if I'm interviewing someone who's still you know, 23 years old and really only has like one internship and maybe one job, it's hard to tell if they're going to be successful or not. So uh, what I've done is I look for patterns, and it kind of goes back to high school actually, where I ask the questions of you know in high school. What was your greatest accomplishment? You know, what, what, what was your biggest failure? You know, did you receive any recognition or awards? Were you ever on a, a, a team where you voted captain of the team by your peers? You know, and basically what I'm looking for is there's a pattern where if someone was on student council or someone's voted to be captain of their baseball team or volleyball team, whatever it might be. Um, and then do they have the internal or external locus of control where, you know, and ask, like, what was your greatest failure? Are they owning the result of that, or are they blaming somebody else? You know, my my is it thumbs in or thumbs out, and you see that pattern when you go through. Because I ask the same questions about high school, about college, you know, about your first job, uh, you know, and then I ask, you know, if, if I were to call your your boss or not, not, if I, I'd say, what is your boss's name? Can you spell that for me? When I call your boss and I ask your boss about your performance, you know, what is she going to tell me? And I feel like it's a truth serum question where people are like, oh you're going to call my boss uh, and they tell me it, and then I do I do call the boss and I confirm when I heard um, but I've learned to ask a lot of those types of questions for early career and uh, it is amazing the pattern that I will, I will identify someone who's 22 years old that is guaranteed to be an all-star based on how they answer questions about their greatest accomplishments their greatest failures awards recognition achievements etc
0: yeah no I, I love that do you, um, when you meet somebody who has similar qualities to you, whether it's a younger version of yourself or, you know, you see certain things in them that remind you, remind them of you, does it piss you off or excite you?
1: Oh, yeah, that would really excite me. Yeah. Yeah, that would really excite me. Um, and I, I always say, like, people do business with people they like and they tend to like people like themselves. Yep. So if I, if I can find more people who have the same passions and interests as me and I can work alongside them, that would be really... That'd be really amazing.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. So Jeff, for you, you know, with with all that you're doing, you know, with all the different companies you've launched, the impact that you've had, you know, do you have if if you had if you had the opportunity to decide what the legacy you left was, what would you want that to be? Well
1: it's it's really it's impact, right? So it's it's how many people or families have I've been able to personally impact by making the decision to start my companies. And I've had so many people who've gotten married and had kids because of, you know, the job I got them, they met their spouse or they worked for me and they, they met their spouse. And now there's, I always see on like Facebook, I see you know, all these pictures of babies and my like, God, you know, what's amazing is that they met because I started the company and I hired both of them and they, they found love and they had this kid and now the kid is like tied back to my legacy that that would never happen if it wasn't for taking the risk to start that company and, it always just gives me the chills to see that. So I, it's, those are the things that at the end of the day, the legacy stuff. And I'm like 90 years old, I'm looking back at my life is how many people's lives have I impacted, whether it was helping them move to a new city and, and have a new beginning in their life through uh, you know, bound or helping them buy a home, their first home through Home Scout or helping them find a job and meet their spouse. There's so many different things I think are probably tied to my legacy at the end of the day.
0: That's so good. And my favorite cl- question on the planet is what gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: 100% my family. Yeah, uh, Everything. I got two boys. I have a soon-to-be nine-year-old and, and six-year-old. And um, I'm working from home nowadays. I used to always be on, on an airplane traveling or, or being downtown in the city. And right now, uh, I'm spending more quality time with them. I'm able to be more a part of their lives, coach sports, you know, not miss any sporting events. And uh, and my wife is also you know, my wife, my kids, and my dog. To me, it's, it's family first every day of the week.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Well, Jeff, obviously you've, you've left, you know, such an amazing impact already in all the different companies, the lives, whether it's helping people move or the jobs you help them get. And I, you know, just can't thank you enough. It's been fun to obviously follow, follow along in everything you're doing, but kind of on a last note, is there anything you want to leave the audience with?
1: Uh, I I would say if, if someone who's listening to this is thinking about starting a business, um, every day that goes by where you don't do it is, is a wasted day. So if, if you've got the itch to do it, go ahead and take that leap and, and you'll never look back. You know, Starting a business is one of the best experiences you can ever have. It's very stressful. Uh, but if you're passionate about something, uh, you know, go forth and
0: go do it. I love that. I love that. Well, Jeff, seriously, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It's been awesome.
1: Hey, thanks. It was great talking to you today. Take care, Matt.